I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord my God, my strength, my song has now become my victory. The Lord my God, my strength, my song has now become my victory. Hey, hey, it's Passover. No, it isn't. Not yet. It's coming. Does anyone know when Passover will be celebrated this year? Close. <laughs> Sundown, April 10th, is Erev Pesach, Erev Passover, the eve of Passover. But for us today, it's Passover. And at Passover, God told the Jewish people to keep this feast as a memorial forever, to remember his mighty deeds on their behalf, his deliverance from bondage to slavery through the blood of the Passover lamb, looking forward to his deliverance from bondage to sin through the blood of the Passover lamb. We're going to concentrate on the blood of the Passover lamb this morning. And we're going to see how central Passover is to God's entire plan of redemption for the world. You didn't tell me this was here. Did you not see it? Do you see it? You're saying, what are you doing? Good. Well, you're asking what I'm doing, right? Good question. Good question. I'm cleaning. Cleaning. Ah, here's some more. So, and you're asking, what are you cleaning, right? Oh, thank you. Inquisitive minds want to know. I'm cleaning the leaven in the house. And you're asking all of you why, right? Great. Because it's Passover. Oh, and at Passover in Jewish homes, elaborate spring cleaning happens before the feast. Foods containing chametz. Can you say chametz? Chametz, but watch out for the person in front of you. Chametz or leaven, which is yeast, are not allowed. The house is completely cleaned and all the leaven in the house is removed. Leaven is a symbol of sin in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew scriptures. When God commanded the children of Israel to leave Egypt, it was in haste. Their dough was without yeast. There was no time to prepare. They were driven out of Egypt. And anyway, God told them to get rid of the leaven before Passover, or what God says goes, right? And he knew, he knew that unleavened bread, okay, leaven is a symbol of unleavened bread, would point to our sinless Messiah, Jesus. He knew. And so at Passover, according to Jewish tradition, the papa of the family personally inspects each room to make sure that all the leaven in the house is removed and he gathers the family together and by the light of a wax candle they walk from room to room and intently search for the leaven leaven is a symbol of light exposes sin who's the light of the world jesus something to ponder the papa is usually equipped with a large feather and a wooden spoon on which to collect the crumbs of leaven. Leaven, a symbol of sin, collected on a wooden spoon. Jesus, bearing our sins in his body, was crucified on a wooden cross. More to reflect upon, more to consider.
Then the mama usually leaves a little bit of leaven someplace in the house, maybe on the kitchen windowsill, and then she always acts surprised when the papa finds it. It's like a game. It makes him feel important, and that's good. And it makes the children laugh, and it's good to begin the feast with laughter and with joy. And then with all the crumbs of leaven collected on that wooden spoon, the papa wraps the wooden spoon in a linen cloth, and he burns it outside the house. He takes it outside the house and burns it. Jesus, bearing our sins in his body, scripture says, was crucified outside his house, outside the camp. And we're told that in Hebrews 13. So much to consider, so much to ponder. And we've just started. Well, on the night of Passover at the Seder table, with all the leaven in the house removed, the mama kindles the Passover light. She lights the Passover candles, and she recites the blessing in Hebrew. And that's what we're going to do now. So if you will pray with me, and I will recite the blessing in Hebrew, and we'll begin. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kudshenu b'mitzvizov, itzivanu lahadlik ner shel yom tov. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with thy commandments and has commanded us to kindle the festival lights. Amen. Amen. And the Seder begins. Does anyone know what the word Seder means? Seder means order. Order. Why would someone have order? (laughs) Do we ask that nowadays? This is based on God's instructions to the children of Israel in Exodus 12. And if you have your Bibles with you, you might want to turn to Exodus 12 because I'm going to be referring to quite a few verses in that chapter. But God told them that the evening should be commemorated by eating three foods, lamb, matzah, which is unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Rabbis later added other elements, including green vegetables, a roasted egg, and the haroseth, which is the apple mixture, and also four cups of wine. We know from the gospel accounts that in Jesus' day, the cups of wine had already been introduced. So Passover features special, meaningful foods, and we're going to see that this morning. And this reminds us, though, from a Jewish perspective, that theology is not only to be taught, it's also to be eaten. Well, we're going to go beyond that this morning. We're going to go beyond eating to digesting because it's our intent to grasp the significance of Passover. During the Seder, the Papa reads from the Haggadah. This is the Haggadah. Haggadah means the telling. And you might be asking, the telling of what? The telling of Pesach. Pesach is Hebrew for Passover. What does Pesach mean? Passover, to leap over. And the rabbis have taught that Pesach is connected to another Hebrew word, Netzach. Netzach. And Netzach has two meanings, and this is so rich. Netzach means victory and eternity. Is God eternal? Is he victorious? Amen. And so as we celebrate 
this feast this morning, let us do so holding on to those truths that our God is eternal. He has already won the victory. And Pesach, though, has a deeper meaning than just to pass over. It means to spread the wings over. I pray that you'll be thinking of some verses, either in the Gospels or in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, that connect all this together. But Pesach means to protect. God's Passover means such sheltering and protection as is found only under the outstretched arms of the Almighty. As we head towards Passion Week, as we head towards Resurrection Sunday, we think of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and weeping over Jerusalem, don't we? And what did Jesus say? And we find this in Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It wasn't merely that the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites that first Passover night, but that he stood on guard, protecting each blood-sprinkled door. That's amazing. There was a personal covering for each who obeyed God's instructions and applied the blood that night. And it was a night of judgment. But the substitutionary death of the Passover lamb, the lamb dying in place of the people, brought forgiveness, brought deliverance, brought redemption to those who applied the blood to the lintel over the top of the door and along the two doorposts. How many of you celebrate Passover each year? Okay. Well, <laughs> no, that's fine. I, the reason I'm asking was I wondered if you do celebrate Passover each year, did you ever have questions about why you go through some of these things that you're going to see this morning, why you do certain things? And then I was going to ask that person, did you ask? And the reason I'm asking this is because there's a great Jewish proverb that says, ask, it's laziness not to ask. So mull that over, mull it over. Some Jewish people have asked me, why is it that the wife, the woman, always welcomes Passover into the home, lights the Passover candles? The answer that we can provide for our Jewish friends is as the woman begins the Seder and gives light to the Passover table, so it was from the seed of a woman that the Messiah came to perform his redemptive ministry and give light to the world. And aren't we thankful that our Messiah Jesus has come and he's coming again. Now, Papa shares with his family from the Haggadah. And when I say this, and I'm going to say this a lot, Jewish people celebrate Passover. They read from the Haggadah. There are different Haggadahs. But many Jewish people will be reading what I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, and you might ask us some questions. Speaking of ask, you might ask us some questions after the service regarding that. But Papa reads that Passover is an account of miraculous transitions. That's so important to remember. Is our God a God of miracles? Some people don't think so. So always point at that, always focus that. So Passover is truly an account of miraculous transitions from slavery to freedom, from despair to hope, from darkness to light. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? And then Papa says, God's redemption of Israel began that first Passover night 
behind the blood-sprinkled doors in Egypt. Papa continues to read this. God instructed the children of Israel that on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, Nisan is a month on the Jewish calendar, on the 10th day, remember that, tuck that away, because it's going to come back. A lamb was to be taken. A lamb was to be kept. You see that in Exodus 12, verse 6. In Exodus 12, 3, the commandment is to take a lamb, nothing special, an unknown entity. And in Exodus 12, 4, you see God says the lamb. All of a sudden, the lamb is unique, set apart. In Exodus 12, 5, God specifies your lamb. Your lamb. This is a personal provision from God, a lamb per household, scripture says, according to each man's need. I love that verse. Do we all have needs? Yes. You know, we wouldn't be sitting here if we don't have needs. Our base need is to be delivered, to be redeemed, to be forgiven of our sins. Your lamb, scripture tells us, was to be an unblemished, a spotless male of the first year. The Hebrew scriptures tell us that only that which is perfect can make atonement for sins. So think with me when you might have taken, uh, well, well, we'll talk about the lambs in a minute, but taken a little puppy or a kitten into your home. Have you done that? Have you gone to the Humane Society and done that? Okay, take it home, and what does it become? Some say pet, and some have said family member, going right to the family member. There was an attachment, right? When you take an animal into your home, there's an attachment pretty fast. Can you imagine how the people felt when they took that young lamb into their homes? How many of you have had lambs or have lambs in your homes? No? Really? <laughs> Teeny says that she has, you have had a lamb in your home? But in your home. Okay, that, but you had lambs. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay. What would you do? Just think with me. What would you do if you brought a lamb into a home? Would you perhaps name it at first? You know, I didn't have a lamb in my house. We lived in the Bronx in uh, an apartment building on the fourth floor. Um, no lambs. But we had chickens that turned into roosters, but that's a whole other story. But uh, maybe you'd name it, okay, what good Jewish male name would you name that lamb? Herman. All right. <laughs> okay, good. We'll call it Herman. And then maybe you might comb its wool. Again, I'm just making this up as I go along because I don't have an education with uh, lambs. But what a cute little lamb that animal, that family member was, don't you think? It melted their hearts. It became their lamb. And I believe that God intended for the children of Israel to cherish that lamb. And for four days, they were to scrutinize that lamb to make sure it was without blemish, that it was spotless. And then if it was, what did God instruct them to do? To kill that lamb, to kill it, to slaughter it. I believe that God wanted that lamb cherished, and then God wanted the people to mourn for that lamb. Not a bone was to be broken. 
and its blood was to be applied to the lintel and the two doorposts in the homes that were observing, celebrating Passover. In Exodus 12:22, God instructed the children of Israel to take a bunch of hyssop. Surely somebody has hyssop here this morning at home, right? Now, you say, what's a hyssop? A hyssop or a hyssop is an herb. It's a shrub. It was used for purification rites. And God said, dip that hyssop into the blood that was in the basin. It says it right there in Exodus 12. How many times I've read that passage, that chapter, and I've read the basin, the basin, and never really thought about that word until one day I thought, the basin, what does that mean? Do you ever encounter, when you're reading scripture, do you ever encounter words that you say, Boy, I have to do a little research on that all the time, right? All the time. So I did some research, and the basin was actually a depression or a ditch that was dug in front of the doorways in homes in Egypt that helped prevent flooding. So it appears that the children of Israel killed their lambs by the door of their homes but outside, and the blood from the slaughter ran into the basin. And so they dipped the hyssop into the basin, and then they painted the door on the top with the blood and coming down the two sides. And with the blood already in the basin, the door was sealed on all four sides. What did Jesus say when he came unto his people and he spoke to them and he said, I am the door? Didn't he tell them this? And he told the Jewish audience they would know what he meant. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the fulfillment of Passover. They knew. And then in John 10, 9, going further with him saying, I am the door, Jesus said, again, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Oh, my, what a wonderful, wonderful picture of redemption, of deliverance that is. Because what happened at that first Passover night in Egypt? The people went in through the blood-soaked doors and found safety in their homes. And the death angel, the death angel passed over. God stood on guard by each door. When he saw the blood, the firstborn was not killed within that home. And then the people went out the next morning and began their journey to the promised land, the land that God had given to them through promise. More to ponder, isn't there? I pray that we will be marveling at this time. And Papa continues to read, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and when I see the blood on the lintel and two doorposts, I will pass over you and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you, God said. Papa says this was a new birth. This was our deliverance. This was our redemption. And then at the Seder, Papa pours the first cup, the cup which is the cup of sanctification. And sanctification means holiness or to be set apart. And this first cup sets apart this dinner, this Seder, to accomplish God's plans and purposes. And I've been praying for all of us that God would impact each of us 
with his message in his word that it would impact our hearts today. And Papa raises that first cup and he prays, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe who has created the fruit of the vine. And then the family drinks. On a night nearly 2,000 years ago, a young rabbi conducted a Passover Seder amongst his friends in an upper room in Jerusalem. And that young rabbi's name was Joshua, or Yeshua in the Hebrew, or Jesus in the Greek. Yes, Jesus celebrated on that Last Supper a Passover Seder with his disciples. And he lifted the first cup, and he recited the blessing in Hebrew, and then they drank. Now, in Jesus' day and at Passover Seders today in Jewish homes, there's the washing, many washings. But at the first hand washing, the papa washes his hands alone, the only one to wash his hands. And that sets him apart from the rest of the family that shows him to be the most important person at the table. What did Jesus do so long ago in that upper room in Jerusalem? He washed the disciples' feet, didn't he? Even the feet of Judas. And in Jewish homes today, in the Seder order, now is the time for the Papa to talk about the Seder plate. And he lifts the Seder plate, and he shows his family what they are going to partake of. And he lifts the parsley, and he says, this parsley, which is green, represents life, a renewed life. Life in Egypt, Papa says, during the first Passover was a life of pain and suffering and tears. And the tears are represented by the salt water that's also on the Seder plate. And Papa tells his family to dip the parsley into the salt water and to eat and to remember and to not forget. How many times God through scripture tells us to remember? We're going to talk about it today during communion, to remember, to remember. Yes, there was hardship and suffering in Egypt. Scripture tells us that Pharaoh made it very difficult for the Jewish people. But there was also a renewed life when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. And Passover is observed in the spring when the earth is renewed, isn't it? When the life is green again after the deadness of winter, we see a resurrection in this celebration. Do you think God orchestrated that? I think so. I think so. Perhaps you've come here this morning because you have questions about a renewed life. Ask. Ask. We'd be happy to answer. Papa then pours the second cup of wine, which is called the cup of plagues, like the plagues that plagued Egypt. It's a cup of judgment. But some have called this cup the cup of praise. Well, how can that be? Some say judgment. Some say praise. Check this out in your study time. Exodus 14, verses 19 to 20. As the children of Israel were leaving Egypt at that first Passover, the glory of God, the very presence of God, was a pillar of cloud that gave light to the children of Israel. And that same pillar of cloud gave darkness 
to the Egyptians. And so we have the cup of plagues and the cup of praise, the same cup. Now, what color is the wine? Red, right. What does it represent? The blood, the blood of the Passover lamb. And the parsley is green, and it represents not only a renewed life, but also the hyssop that was used to dip into the blood in the basin and apply to the doorposts and the lintel. The Passover message is this, a renewed life, freedom, deliverance from bondage through the blood of the Passover lamb. That's what we're talking about this morning. And at this time in the Seder, Papa lifts the matzatash. You might be saying, this is all Greek to me. What's a matzatash? It's actually all Hebrew. But a matzatash is also called a unity in Jewish homes. And it's a fabric holder. And it holds three pieces of matzah. Okay? It's called the unity. It holds three pieces of matzah. Don't you think that's kind of strange? Because when we talk about all being united, you know, we're talking about all being one. Right, right. But this is what it's called. And praise the Lord for the object lesson that he gives through this matzah at Passover Seders. Papa removes the middle piece of matzah, the hidden piece of matzah. And he breaks it in half, and he says, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in Egypt. All who are hungry, come and celebrate Passover with us. All who are in need, come and join us in this celebration. Yeshua took that middle piece of matzah on that night so long ago in the upper room, and he lifted it up and said, This is my body given for you. Wash me in His 
precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb
Remember, leaven is a symbol of sin in the scriptures. Matzah actually means sweet without sourness. It means no corruption without corruption. King David wrote in Psalm 1610, you, God, will not allow your Holy One, your Messiah, to see corruption. Matzah speaks to the sinless, perfect life of the Messiah who came to fulfill all righteousness. At his death, Jesus' body was wrapped in a linen cloth. The afikoman is wrapped in a linen napkin. Jesus' body was buried in the tomb. The afikoman is buried by the papa during the Passover Seder. And as the afikoman is sought after and found and raised from its burial place by the children after dinner, Jesus' body was raised. Afikoman is a Greek word meaning I am come. And what is a Greek word doing in the middle of a Hebrew celebration? Maybe you can ask your Jewish friends that, and they might have questions for you. And it would be a grand discussion, wouldn't it? And how interesting that when that afikoman is raised after dinner, it's eaten with the third cup, the cup of redemption. How glorious is that? Jesus shared a Passover meal with his disciples demonstrating how Passover is so central to God's plan of redemption. Now, Papa lifts the second cup of wine, which is the cup of plagues and praise, and he reads, a full cup is a symbol of joy, and indeed we praise God's mighty deliverance. But we reduce the fullness of this cup in remembrance of the lives sacrificed to bring about our release from slavery. But the family doesn't drink yet. They don't. So how is the cup reduced without drinking from it? For each plague brought upon the Egyptians, each member of the family dips a finger into the cup and sprinkles a drop of wine onto the plate. And Papa tells the family, we need to remember that our joy is diminished at the suffering of others. And the family recites a a plague for each drop that splashes onto the plate, symbolizing the mourning that they have over the Egyptian suffering. So as I dip my finger into the cup and sprinkle a drop for each plague, will you call out after me? Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death of the firstborn. And I'm licking my finger because I don't have a napkin. But that's okay, right? It's Passover. And now it's time for a joyful song. What a contrast. We just talked about the plagues and the suffering and mourning the loss of others who, who died and we were released from slavery. But we're going to sing a joyful song because wouldn't God want that? A joyful song, raising and exalting God. Don't we see contrasts in scripture? Well, we see the wicked and the righteous. We see condemnation. We see redemption. We see judgment. We see abundance, abundant life. We see the glory of God in salvation through judgment throughout scripture. And the most graphic picture of that is the cross of Jesus. Jesus took our judgment, and because of his death, we have life.
remember that this season and always. But we're going to sing this song called Dayenu, and I know you all know it. And Dayenu means it is enough or we would have been satisfied. That little word means all that. It is enough or we would have been satisfied. So I'm going to sing and then, then you can go. Ilu hotsi hotsi anu hotsi anu mi mitzrayim hotsi anu mi mitzrayim dayenu. Okay. Nah, come on. Take a stab at it. No? No? Next time. Next year in Jerusalem. How's that? Okay. Yay, yay. Well, the Passover Seder, during the Passover Seder, Jewish families, many Jewish families sing verse after verse of this song, Dayenu, into the wee hours of the morning. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. But just to give you an example of some of the verses in English, I'll give you three uh, verses just to give you a taste of what they're singing about. One verse says, if he merely rescued us from Egypt, if God merely rescued us from Egypt, but had not destroyed the Egyptian gods, what? Dayenu. If he had merely fed us with manna, but had not given us the Sabbath. If he had merely given us the Sabbath, but had not brought us to Mount Sinai. We would have been satisfied. It would have been enough. But you know what? We as Messianic believers who know Messiah Jesus personally, we can add a further verse to this Dianu song, knowing that if God had only provided salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, would it have been enough? Amen. Amen. But we know that he did much more because when Jesus came, he said, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. John 10.10. Does he satisfy us? Does he give us a joy in living which only can come through a personal faith in him? He's the bread of life. He's the manna from heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he satisfies us, we who know him. If you don't know him this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus personally, ask. This is a perfect time to ask, and we would be happy to share with you how he can satisfy you for all eternity. You know, the rabbis have said to their people that the exodus and redemption are not to be taken only as history. Each Jewish person the rabbis tell their people, is to consider this experience as personal. This is a good time to ask your Jewish friends as they're going to begin celebrating Passover starting at sundown on April 10th. How has Passover impacted your life? How has Passover changed your life? And now the family drinks from the second cup, that cup of plagues and praise, And they praise God for his abundant, mighty deliverance. At this time, the papa then breaks up the remaining half of the matzah that was broken, not the afikomen, and starts to distribute the pieces. And at this time, also in the Seder, the youngest child asks the four important questions that need to be asked at the Passover table and starts with, which means, 
why is this night so different from all other nights? And the Papa answers with many of what we've, with much of what we've already heard expressed through the Haggadah. But I want to focus on the fourth question that the child asks, because it's very insightful to me. And I always smile when I hear this question or read it. The child asks, on all other nights, we eat either sitting or reclining. On this night, why do we eat only reclining? Ask your Jewish friends if they recline at Passover, Seder. We have yet to find um, any doing so. But this is the father's answer to that question. Reclining was a sign of a free man long ago, and since our forefathers were freed on this night, we recline at the table. Passover speaks of freedom, and freedom is found only in the one who said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives us freedom, doesn't he? He's the only one that can provide rest for us. He gives us rest. In the Seder now, Papa reads from the Haggadah, and he lifts the horseradish, the maror. And he says, as sweet as our lives are today, let us remember how bitter life was for the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. And as we dip the matzah into the bitter maror, let us allow the bitter taste to cause us to shed tears of compassion for the sorrow that our ancestors knew. Jesus took the bitter cup for us. We need to remember that always. He took God's judgment for us. Let us never forget. And then Papa reads that the children of Israel made bricks for Pharaoh's cities. And we remember this task through the haroseth, which is a mixture of apples, wine, and cinnamon. And it's also used to represent the mortar between the bricks. And Papa says, let us dip the matzah into the haroseth. And yes, remember the hardships that our ancestors knew under the whips of Pharaoh's taskmasters. But the sweetness of the haroseth, let that remind us of the freedom that was ours through God's deliverance. The Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb is focused upon and God's deliverance is indeed focused upon in this feast of Passover. And Passover speaks of freedom. How sweet. Just think of us here today. It's the body of Messiah, the body of Christ. How sweet is the deliverance God has given to us in Jesus? How sweet is our relationship with Jesus, even during the bitter and the difficult times? Papa then reads, on the Seder plate, we have a roasted egg. And this egg speaks of sacrifice, which can no longer be made because the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And I don't know about you, but when I heard that this was the representation of the roasted egg, I thought, sacrifice? What does that mean? I always think of an egg representing life, don't you? Well, what does sacrifice lead to? Okay. Humor me on this, okay? Work with me. What does sacrifice lead to? When something is sacrificed, it dies, okay? 
death. Sacrifice leads to death. Jesus is our sacrifice. He sacrificed his life for us. He died. And in his death, what is there for us? There's life. There's eternal life. What a powerful message each element of the Passover Seder plate has for us, for all people, should God give them ears to hear. Now, let me ask you a question. We're into asking. Let me ask you, how many of you have roasted an egg? Never. Did somebody say never? Okay, good. I like transparency. Never. I never have either. <laughs> but I have read and I've been told that during the roasting of an egg, pressure builds up within the egg and little droplets of liquid like sweat appear on the outside, on the shell. And it stains the shell. And my mind goes to Luke 22, verses 42 to 44, when we read of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. And you know what he prayed. He prayed, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And scripture tells us that Jesus was in much agony and he prayed more earnestly than his sweat, scripture says, became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. On the Seder plate, there's also the roasted shank bone of the lamb, which represents the lamb whose blood marked the houses of the children of Israel. And Papa reminds his family that since the temple in Jerusalem no longer stands, lamb is not eaten at Passover in Jewish homes. This shank bone reminds them of the sacrificial lamb. And it's a roasted shank bone. Why all this roasting? Jesus went through the fire of God's judgment. Roasting speaks of fire. And the Hebrew word for this shank bone is zeroah, which means arm. It means arm. It speaks of the outstretched arm of God by which he freed his people, by which he redeemed his people, by which he promised ultimate redemption from sin by his outstretched arms on the cross. The outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross bring redemption, bring salvation for those who trust in him alone. The blood of the Passover lamb at that first Passover so long ago, the blood on the doorposts and the lintel physically saved the children of Israel and allowed them to begin their journey to the promised land. The blood of the perfect Passover lamb, Jesus, gives us eternal life in the ultimate promised land, heaven, when we trust him. Did you know that the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua, which is Jesus' Hebrew name? Amazing, isn't it? We really should be marveling at all that God has provided for us. It's after dinner. Wasn't that great? It was a good dinner. And after dinner, the children look for the afikomen, don't they? They find it, or one child finds it, and raises it from its burial place. And a prize is given to that child who finds that hidden, broken, middle piece of matzah wrapped in a linen cloth. What prize are we given? Salvation. Salvation. 
I truly hope we're all marveling anew. It never gets old, this message of Passover. It never does. It speaks to freedom, new life, deliverance, eternal life, abundant life through the blood of the Passover lamb. During that Passover Seder in the upper room in Jerusalem so long ago, Jesus spoke of the new covenant in his blood, the new covenant which God promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And we find that in Jeremiah 31, 31. And Jesus used the afikomen to represent his own body. And again, he said, lifting it, this is my body given for you. Since the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, as I said before, lamb is not eaten at Passover. In Jewish homes, the roasted shank bone of the lamb, the Zeroah, the arm of the Lord, represents the sacrificial Passover lamb. And the Afikomen also represents the sacrificial Passover lamb in the Seder in Jewish homes. And today in Jewish homes, the Jewish people partake of the Afikomen as the last solid food of the Seder. What does Afikomen mean? I am come. And that's the last message of the Passover Seder in homes today. And immediately after the afikomen is eaten, the third cup, the cup of redemption, is poured. And Papa reads, God promised that he would return his people from slavery, that he would redeem his people with an outstretched arm. And it is this cup, the third cup of redemption, that Jesus raised and said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Well, on that note, we're going to have communion together. Communion is our... um, our covenant meal, whenever two ancient groups or parties entered into a covenant, there was uh, always a meal. And so uh, if I could have the ushers come forward and um, go ahead and hand out the elements, the bread, uh, crackers, and the juice, and we'll partake of it together. I want to read to you out of Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the Lord speaking about the new covenant. It's interesting to me that many people think of the Old Testament and the New Testament as two separate books. Uh, And, you know, they one seamlessly blends right into the other. The Lord is speaking about this covenant. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I've made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. The Lord is talking about taking something that is kind of the law, external and outside, and working in their hearts and doing something that isn't just from without, but from within. That's what he said he's going to do. Um, 
on that um, Passover night as Jesus was breaking bread with the disciples, um, I want to share this other scripture with you as well. Paul the Apostle, speaking of it in 1 Corinthians, says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and says, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, that third cup, that cup of redemption, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. This is the symbol of the fulfillment of what was spoken about in Jeremiah 31. See how it connects to the other, how it ties right into it? An agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And you know, the apostles, as they were sitting there with Jesus, they totally understood what he was talking about. I mean, the meaning of it, because every year they celebrated Passover. It was a regular thing for them. And so for them to receive this and to understand this is the fulfillment. Now, whether or not they practically got it or not, we don't know. I mean, at least not at that moment, but they would later. And so what a joy to celebrate this and to celebrate it together. You know, there's only two things that the Lord really left us to celebrate. I mean, we celebrate them every day if you want to. Every day Easter, every day Christmas. But, you know, one is baptism, which was meant to be done, what? In community. And the other is communion. And we celebrate that together as a family. And so, um, thank you, brother. <clears throat> Another interesting thing I think about is that, is that this celebration of Passover, notice how the children are involved? And these kids grew up knowing about this. It wasn't something that, you know, was just for the parents. And you know what? As I look at it, it's not even something that's just for Jewish folk. It's not just a Jewish custom. Oh, well, we don't celebrate Passover. You know what? Christ is our Passover. We're celebrating it right now. And so would you take this, this, um, this bread, which is a symbol of his body, and in 1 Corinthians, Paul is, is speaking to, to people and, and he's really rebuking them because people were coming to the, to the agape feast and they were eating it all up the food before anybody got there. And then they were having a little bit too much wine. And Paul says, basically, what's wrong with y'all? You know, what's wrong with you? You guys have lost the whole meaning. But, you know, for, the, for us, this is special. It's not the body of Christ. But it symbolizes that. And so let's take this together as family. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It's God's economy. It's the way he does it. In the Old Testament, bulls, goats, rams. In the New Testament, his precious son. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know what those people must have thought when they heard that? <gasps> what did he say? The Messiah? What? Amazing. 
This is what we celebrate together as family. Let's do that. I want to share this last part of the scripture that Paul the Apostle says. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death. We've just announced the death of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there because the scripture says until he comes again. Is that awesome? You announce something in the past tense as you look forward to the future tense because he's coming again. So we just look back and we just look forward. May that fuel us this week. Kathy. That evening in the upper room, after the cup, Jesus and his disciples went out singing. The Gospels tell us that. And Jewish people chant or sing, typically from Psalm 118. Check out that passage. It's intensely messianic. And look at verse 24. Verse 24, they sang this. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. They sang it as they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and as Jesus ultimately made his way to the cross. Jesus is our sin bearer, isn't he? He's our substitute for sin to those who cry out to him for forgiveness. The prophet Isaiah wrote, in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Our Messiah came, he died, he shed his blood. He is the perfect Passover lamb. And through his outstretched arms on the cross, he provides salvation for all, Jew and Gentile, who come and place their faith and trust in him. Redemption from sin forever. Today in Jewish homes, Papa reads, we have a place setting. That has not been touched. This is the place setting for Elijah. This pillow is just not here for me if I get tired. Okay. This cup is for Elijah. But where is Elijah? The Papa always asks. He's not here. Each year we open the door to look for him and invite him to join our Seder. But he never comes to the Seder. Each year we pray that Elijah would come to the Seder bringing peace and freedom, bringing a time of the Messiah, or the time of the Messiah. What does Afi Coleman mean? I am come. Our Messiah has come, hasn't he? And his name is Jesus, and he's coming again. Now we have the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance. Papa pours that last cup, and he lifts it, and he reads that, God is saying with this cup, I will take you to me for a people. This speaks of the time when the Lord will gather Israel. And even though Israel strayed so many times, God continued and continues to express his everlasting love to them. Israel, he says, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. God assured Israel of his undying love. 
And because of God's loyal love for Israel, we who are believers in the Messiah can fully grasp the meaning of this Passover Seder. God's love for us, isn't that what it's saying? His everlasting, unconditional love for us. He has given us renewed life and freedom in Jesus. And we can grasp the meaning of this last cup of acceptance because this represents our great hope that at any moment our Messiah Jesus will be returning to take his followers to be with him. The Seder of our Passover is now complete. I love saying that. It's complete. It's done. It's done because our redemption is complete because of the Messiah, Jesus. He has fulfilled the Passover. On the 10th day of Nisan, sound familiar? That's the day when God told the Jewish people to take the lambs into their homes in Egypt. Well, on the 10th day of Nisan, Jesus the perfect Passover lamb rode into Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey about 1,500 years after that first Passover. Now, we know this day as what? Palm Sunday, which we're going to be celebrating next week. But the Jewish people call that day Lamb Selection Day. Lamb Selection Day. Maybe you want to wish people next week, instead of saying Happy Palm Sunday, Say, Happy Lamb Selection Day. And then you'll see the look on their faces if they weren't here. But it was the day when the animal Passover lambs were brought into Jerusalem to be scrutinized, to be found hopefully spotless, and to be sacrificed. The Jewish historian Josephus has recorded that on any given Passover around Jewish Jesus Day, approximately 256,000 lambs were sacrificed. This is Lamb Selection Day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. What a day to pick for him to ride on the colt of a donkey into his family, into Jerusalem, while the 256,000 maybe plus animal Passover lambs were coming in at the same time. Jesus lived with his family for four days after that triumphal entry, and they scrutinized him, and they found him to be blameless. Yes, they did. And who was that that found him to be blameless? And I can give you the scripture afterwards if you're interested. Pilate found him to be blameless. Herod, the Sanhedrin, the thief on the cross, and even Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And so, in accordance with Exodus 12, on the 14th day of the month, because Jesus was found spotless, blameless, on the 14th day of the month, on the day of Passover at 9 o'clock in the morning, while those animal Passover lambs were being brought to the temple and tied to the altar, Jesus, our perfect Passover lamb, was being nailed to the cross. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when the priest lifted his knife and killed the last Passover animal lamb in the temple, what did Jesus cry from the cross? It is finished. It is finished. The debt had been paid. He paid our debt. 
Jesus satisfied God's righteous demands. But was that the end? No, like Pastor Richie said, no, no, because what's coming? Sundays are coming. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. Oh, death, where is thy sting, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. There is no sting in death for the believer. There's victory. There's victory. And it is because of him that we, Jew and Gentile, believers in Jesus, can trust in him for our salvation, that we can stand in truth, in victory, for this day and for all eternity, Netzach. God is eternal. God is victorious. Look what he has given to us. And we each can cry, Dayenu, it is enough. I am satisfied. Can you say that today? Can you say, Dayenu, praise God Almighty. I pray that you can. I pray that you have pondered something new and that you've gone on to marveling at what our great God has done. He is amazing. We thank you, Jesus, for your, your laying your life down for us. Lord, we cannot fathom the suffering that you went through, Jesus, for us. I thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to share, the joy it is to share this message of Passover with you. May you take it throughout this Easter season and beyond and ask questions of others who don't yet know him and pray that they will ask questions of you. And so I say, Dayenu to you, and Shalom, and thank you, Jesus. Thank you.